My God, this is not a time for internecine nonsense on the part of the Republican Party, which is watching its blood drain into the streets because they're gutless. Oh, man. Drama queen much? Blue dubs? Blood draining into the streets. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ in Cottage Grove on KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the Internet's on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today with 43 days left until Inauguration Day on January 20th. That seems to... That number seems to get higher and higher each day. I I don't know how that happens. Counterintuitive, but but yeah. So 43 days until then, 29 days until the Electoral College votes are accepted or not by Congress on January 6th. Please keep that date in mind. Uh, 28 days until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to determine control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, that is January 5, though early voting starts uh, pretty much any time now, about a week on December 14. There are six days until the Electoral College meets to cast its votes to theoretically finalize election 2020. That is on December 14. And as we go to air today, today is the federal statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving Theoretically, any and all electoral disputes for the Electoral College, according to the Electoral Count Act of 1887, though we may see by the end of the day if the U.S. Supreme Court, specifically Sam Alito, who is considering a challenge as we speak by a U.S. congressman and Pennsylvania state lawmakers hoping to toss out the will of the people in the Keystone State to allow the gerrymandered Pennsylvania state legislature instead to appoint Trump electors instead of those for Biden. 
who, by the way, voters chose by more than 80,000 votes on November 3rd, according to all available evidence. We'll find out if the Supreme Court agrees that all of this should be settled by today. So, yeah, welcome back to the broadcast where anything can happen on a day like this in what we hope are the waning days of the Trump presidency. We will uh, speak momentarily with an expert guest on the, I guess, you know, sort of the least nefarious way that all of this could end, Desi Doyen. <laughs> okay. I, I hate to say it. Uh, That's one way of putting it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, as as uh, once if Trump realizes that he's finished and he starts handing out pardons like candy, including to his advisors and his aides and his friends and his family and his business associates and, yes, his family specifically, but most controversially himself. Can he do that? Can anything stop him from doing any of that? We'll discuss all of that shortly with my guest, which, as as noted, that is now likely the least disturbing way that all of this could end at this point, to be frank. This may explain a thing or two, though, about where we are right now at this disturbing moment that the nation finds itself in. A Gallup survey published on Monday shows that Americans' assessments of their own mental health has plummeted to its lowest point in the last two decades. Are you surprised? No. According to Gallup, a mid-November poll taken just after the election found that just 76% of adults rate their mental health positively. That is a nine-point decline from just last year. Gallup, since 2001, has reported that Americans responded to its annual November health and healthcare survey by rating their mental health as excellent or good within the range of 81 to 89 percent. That's until this year when it's dropped to 76 percent. Gallup reports that this year's excellent ratings are eight points lower than any prior uh, prior year ever. And uh, that it is all uh, these uh, weakening ratings are, quote, undoubtedly influenced by COVID-19 and the political climate of the country. Mental and emotional well-being varies across demographic subgroups, they say, but the groups whose rating of their mental health as excellent fell by double digits since 2019 include women, Republicans, and independents. According to Gallup, Democrats and frequent church attendees show the least change in their mental health ratings. Hmm. Make of that what you will. But here is, uh, well, we'll get to one Republican woman in Arizona who seems to be freaking nuts right now uh, and seems to be ready to take the entire nation down with her. She's hardly the only Republican, however. Chris Krebs, the former Homeland Security official who was fired by the president after debunking election law related myths and conspiracy theories both before and after the election, has now sued the Trump campaign. Lawyer Joe DeGeneva, who works for the campaign, who said that Krebs should be killed, and the conservative news outlet Newsmax. On November 30th, DeGeneva said during an interview on Newsmax that Krebs was a, quote, moron for asserting that the election had gone smoothly before then arguing that he should be executed because he believed the election had been the most secure in American history. Anybody who thinks that this election went well, like that idiot Krebs, who used to be the head of cybersecurity. Oh, yeah, the guy that was on 60 Minutes guy, last night. That guy is a Class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot. 
He should be taken out at dawn and shot, says Joe DiGenova, about a top Trump administration official. Joe DiGenova is a former U.S. attorney. We'll have an assistant U.S. attorney here, former U.S. assistant attorney here shortly to talk with us about where we are now. But uh, following that comment, Krebs uh, in his suit alleged an angry mob immediately bombarded him with a barrage of death threats and harassment, which continues to this day. He is seeking monetary damage and the removal of the video of those remarks from Newsmax archives. The former DHS official alleged in the complaint that Trump, his lawyers and Newsmax have pursued a calculated and pernicious conspiracy to defame him. It also alleges the trio of defendants uh, make up a civil conspiracy. Defendant Newsmax disseminates and amplifies the defendant's campaigns. And defendant DeGeneva attacks uh, his attacks on perceived political threats and allegations of election stealing, which pleases viewers, prompts endorsements from President Trump, increases ratings, supports the political goals of the defendant campaign and helps raise more money from duped supporters, the suit reads. In a statement on Tuesday, Newsmax said Krebs's uh, claims are, quote, a threat to free speech and his legal action endangers all media organizations that seek open discourse of ideas and news. Really? Is it free speech to suggest that someone should, you know, could I go on air? And, you know, I, I'm decidedly not saying this, but can I say, oh, that Newsmax, they're terrible. Someone should go and firebomb that place. Can I do that? Is that just free speech? By the way, please don't firebomb anything or anybody. I, but I hope Krebs wins, and I hope DeGeneva, the former U.S. attorney who should know better, I hope that he is disbarred. Uh, in a similar vein, I wouldn't normally give any airtime to any of this stuff at all if it was just chit-chat among the right-wing Internet fringes and the MAGA mob, the MAGA militia conspiracy theorists and thugs, you know, sort of looking to freak out their followers so they can raise money off of these easily duped and frightened Suckers and chumps like the ones Krebs calls uh, duped supporters. But uh, make no mistake, this stuff is being raised to DEFCON 1 at this point in the lead up to the Electoral College vote and to the congressional certification of that vote and to the inauguration itself by top players in the GOP, in the swampy, creepy media factories and, and from the White House itself. Fox Business uh, Fox News business dude Lou Dobbs, who didn't used to be insane, he snapped at White House advisor Stephen Miller and raged over why Republicans in the White House are not doing more on the president's legal fight in multiple states. Dobbs yelled about why uh, the White House isn't and the Republicans aren't taking up Ted Cruz's offer to argue on behalf of this uh, case that is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. Here's a little bit of this conversation between Lou Dobbs and White House advisor Stephen Miller. The reality is that this president right now is fighting, and let's be straightforward about it, he's fighting all alone. And Ted Cruz has stepped up to say he'll argue before the Supreme Court. Why on God's green earth wouldn't the White House jump on it? Why shouldn't they accept and, and, that right now? And I'll just say this one other thing, though. If three state legislatures, I just outlined, one correction in no, Wisconsin. No, no, Stephen, I won't let you say I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you do that. I ask a question. You and I 
we're reasonably smart and decent fellows. Why don't you answer me? That's all I'm asking here, Stephen. Why don't you guys jump and salute Ted Cruz and say, yes, we want you on the team now. My God, this is not a time for internecine nonsense on the part of the Republican Party, which is watching its blood drain into the streets because they're gutless. He goes on uh, and on and, and on. on. Yes. And, you know, attacks the DOJ and Bill Barr. But the Republican Party is watching its blood drain into the streets. Really? Drama queen much? Lou Dobbs? But reality bites, don't it, Lou? I suspect things are going to get darker and darker as this uh, <clears throat> reality sets in for these folks that, yes, they actually lost, and yes, Donald Trump will be leaving soon. Probably. And again, this is not the Internet fringes. That's Fox News. That's Lou Dobbs. That's White House advisor Stephen Miller. And they're not the only ones. The folks who should be the adults in the room, they have become the right wing Internet fringe mob over all of this. The Arizona Republican Party run by loony right wing chairwoman Kelly Ward. We featured her on the show a week or two ago um, in, in her insane Dominion conspiracy theory video where she was cribbing from the Brad blogs reporting and getting it all wrong to declare an international conspiracy by the Dominion voting systems uh, company, the voting machine company, that they're in cahoots with communist China and the dead Venezuelan president Hugo Chavez to somehow steal this election from Donald Trump for Joe Biden. Well, the Arizona State GOP late on Monday night asked supporters if they were willing to give their lives in the fight over the results of the presidential election. The party retweeted uh, right-wing activist Ali Alexander's promise that he is, quote, willing to give my life for this fight. And the AZ GOP retweeted that and added, he is, are you... This is on their official Twitter account. They're calling for people to fight and die to, you know, stop this phony evidence-free conspiracy that Trump has falsely and dangerously described as an ongoing siege on our electoral system. Uh, Arizona, you'll recall, was the site of a deadly mass shooting in 2011 when a man attacked then-Democratic Congresswoman Gabby Giffords outside of a grocery store. He killed, he shot about 13 people. He killed six in the process, almost killed Gabby Giffords. Her husband, Mark Kelly, has now just been sworn in as the state's new Democratic U.S. Senator after winning on November 3rd and after the state of Arizona flipped blue for the first time in decades. And, and they put something like this out on their Twitter feed. But that's not all. It, it was no mistake from, you know, some rogue social media person at the a, at the uh, Arizona GOP. About an hour later, they posted a clip from the action movie Rambo. Uh, in the clip, Rambo tweets uh, or he threatens uh, to shoot another character in the face with an arrow. And the Arizona GOP quoted Rambo's comments there in their tweet. This is what they quoted in their tweet from that scene, which they linked to. This is what we do. Who we are. Live for nothing. Or die for something. 
This is what we do, who we are, live for nothing or die for something? I, I, I mean, I warned you a few days ago, this is getting dark, this is getting creepy, this is getting scary. Now, thankfully, there was a lot of pushback on uh, on Twitter against this, including from the uh, state's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, who is a very Trumpy Republican governor, but he, too, has been attacked now by Donald Trump for not being willing to steal the election somehow for him in Arizona. So, yeah, as I said, if the president goes... You know, and I do believe he will. Desi is not quite as certain about that. <laughs> you know, until all the avenues are closed. Yeah, I'm going to keep that thought open. But the uh, the best case scenario, frankly, uh, with this as what we're looking at right now, uh, the best case scenario will be if he does decide to leave and, uh, well, you know, it turns on a fire hose of presidential pardons for anybody and everybody that Donald Trump has ever met, including his family, and yes, for himself. We will discuss that next with former assistant U.S. attorney Randall D. Eliason. Is, uh, is that legal? Can he pardon himself? We will discuss that and much more right after this. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I never promised you a rose garden. No, but maybe a pardon in the rose garden. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, incredibly enough, this conversation is the is is the less uh, crazy way that all of this could go. It regards, you know, Donald Trump pardoning pretty much everyone on his way out of the White House. That, of course, assumes he'll actually leave the White House. A federal judge dismissed Michael Flynn's prosecution Tuesday after President Trump's pardon, but said that the act of clemency does not mean the former national security advisor is innocent of lying to FBI agents about his talks with Russian government officials before Trump took office. In formally ending Flynn's three-year legal saga, U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan said he probably would have denied the Justice Department's controversial effort this year to drop the case against Flynn, which Democrats and many legal experts said appeared to be a corrupt attempt by Attorney General William Barr to bend the rule of law to help a Trump ally. Sullivan expressed deep skepticism about the DOJ's stated reason for abandoning that case, criticizing it for applying a different set of rules to Flynn, who twice pled guilty to lying about his contacts with Russia's ambassador during special counsel Robert Mueller's probe of the 2016 election interference. The judge also said that he was troubled by the government's, quote, dubious rationales 
as well as aspects of its, quote, ever-evolving justifications that ignored applicable law, appeared to be irrelevant or to contradict DOJ prosecutors' previous statements. President Trump's decision to pardon Mr. Flynn is a political decision, not a legal one, Sullivan wrote, because the law recognizes the president's political power to pardon. The appropriate course is to dismiss this case as moot, he said, adding, however, the pardon does not, standing alone, render Mr. Flynn innocent of the alleged violation. The 43-page ruling delivered the court's final say in the politically charged case after the Justice Department and Flynn's defense requested immediate dismissal following Trump's Thanksgiving Eve, quote, full and unconditional pardon for his first national security advisor, who also, by the way, included in his initial guilty plea an admission that he was unlawfully working as an undisclosed paid agent for Turkey, even while advising the president on national security matters. He was then fired by Trump for theoretically lying to the vice president about those conversations with the Russian ambassador. Trump's controversial presidential pardon that some have described as corrupt, ensures that Flynn will not face federal penalties for any and all possible offenses arising from facts or circumstances, quote, in any matter related to Mueller's Russia probe. Under the premise that Trump is unable to find a way to overturn the will of the voters to steal a second term in office, there are likely many more such pardons right around the corner. And as controversial as this one was with Flynn, it may be the case that we ain't seen nothing yet. As Axios's Jonathan Swan reported late on Monday night, President Trump isn't just accepting pardon requests, but he is blindly discussing them, quote, like Christmas gifts to people who haven't even asked, according to sources with direct knowledge of the conversations. Trump recently told one advisor he was going to pardon, quote, Every person who ever talked to me, suggesting an even larger pardon blitz still to come. And with most as with most uh, Trump conversations, however, the advisor wasn't sure how seriously to take the president, although Trump gave no indication that he was joking. Jonathan Swan reports at Axios. And frankly, I see no reason. Zero. None to believe that Trump was joking. As Swan notes, Trump relishes his unilateral authority to issue get-out-of-jail-free cards. Lately, he's been soliciting recipients, asking friends and advisors who they think he should pardon. Trump has also interrupted conversations to spontaneously suggest that he add the person he's speaking with to his pardon list, according to Swan. The offers, however, have not always been welcome. One source felt awkward because the president was clearly trying to be helpful, but the advisor didn't believe that they had committed any actual crimes. The advisor also believed being on the list could hurt their public persona. Well, I should say so, given that a pardon is also a recognition of guilt, whether Trump actually understands that or cares or not. Moreover, Trump has reportedly been arguing of late that preemptive pardons may be necessary because he believes the Biden administration will target his former aides. For his part, however, to the consternation of many, Joe Biden has said he does not want to pursue the Trump team. 
Though we have argued on this show that that would be a mistake, citing the Obama administration's efforts to look forward, not back, following the corrupt George W. Bush administration, an action which many, yes, including me, believed helped pave the way for the rehabilitation of many of those disgraced former officials, while also paving the way for the rise of a Donald Trump. Axios notes that Trump's decision to pardon Michael Flynn sets the template for a wave of pardons to friends and loyalists. The report from Axios comes as reports also surfaced last week that Trump was already considering pardons for roughly 20 associates, including his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, his three eldest children, Don Jr., Eric and Ivanka, and his son-in-law, Ivanka's wife, Jared Kushner. Trump has previously claimed that preemptive pardons were a way around a, quote, witch hunt into his administration and a move that would protect his associates from the incoming Justice Department. So what should we be prepared to expect now in the days and weeks ahead? And what, if anything, can be done about any of it, given the extraordinary, extraordinary, seemingly unreviewable constitutional power of a presidential pardon? Several weeks ago now, law professor at D.C.'s George Washington University Law School, Randall Eliason, tried to warn us about what was ahead in an article at his Sidebars blog headlined The Looming Presidential Pardons, which breaks down the scope of the presidential pardon power and who, among the many, may soon find themselves enjoying one. In addition to teaching at GWU, Randall Eliason is also a writer and commentator frequently found in the pages of the Washington Post discussing corporate and white-collar criminal law. He's also a former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, where he served as chief of the public corruption government fraud section and... He also has a new course available on white-collar criminal law, Explained, available for you to take at thegreatcourses.com. Welcome back to the broadcast, Professor Eliason. Thank you, thank you. Great to be here. Do you well, kind of feel like you're on Oprah? Oh, no, You get a pardon, you get a pardon, and you get a pardon. You're right? That <laughs> kind of seems like where we're going. i got to tell you, uh, you know, and we got a lot to discuss uh, on that front today, just, just Randall. Listening to your intro just, just brings home how crazy this whole thing is. this is crazy and as i said at the top this is sort of the less crazy option of where everything could go right. I, you know right. i and and i know and i want to talk about these pardons in a second i know you're not an election law specialist per se but you know as we've been reporting donald trump has been calling folks specifically like the governor of georgia and the speaker of the house in pennsylvania to sort of try and strong arm these guys into tossing out election results in those states and convening the state legislature to nullify election results give the states electors to trump so far anyway he has not had much luck there but isn't interfering like that in election results whether successful or not isn't that a federal crime which probably also violates some state statutes as well randall well i guess potentially so much would turn on the facts of actually what was said you know i mean because i'm sure he, trump would characterize it as just what can we do is there anything that can be done you know and as opposed to a some sort of conspiracy to actually take some actions. So mm -hmm. I suspect it's pretty tough to try to turn any of those contacts into anything criminal. But I, I, I have been pretty heartened, actually. You know, as you said, I mean, the 
the institutions that have been resisting him have been mm-hmm. doing a remarkable job. I mean, the, the courts, you know, what is he, one win and 49 mm-hmm. losses in his various lawsuits. Yeah. And the, even the Republican officials in the state of Georgia and Pennsylvania resisting his attempts at pressuring them and saying, look, the law is the law, we can't do that. And so I'm, I'm not, I mean, as outrageous as these antics are, mm-hmm. I'm not really worried about him being able to overturn the election or... or you know, convincing of these state legislators to go along. He's going to be gone on January 20th. Well, that is uh, that is certainly good news. And uh, I've just got some breaking news as I'm speaking to you, Randall, that I, I will I want to ask you about, get your reaction to in, in just a moment. But I just want to be clear on this, uh, you know, attempts, whether it's successful or not. You know, if I called someone, an election official, and started haranguing them to change election results, it seems like I would be, uh, uh, you know, vulnerable to a, a crime there in doing so. I'm not sure why, when the president of the United States does it, it it's, it's any less of a crime. Am I over-interpreting no, that? No, I think potentially you're right. I'm just, my only point was, I'm sure there'd be a lot of disputes about what actually was said. Mm-hmm. So, I see. you know, it's easy to frame that kind of conversation as, I'm really concerned. I think there was a lot of fraud. Is there anything that can be done? What can you do to help? You know, as opposed to some sort of conspiracy to actually plot to, to do something. And um, mm-hmm. given, given those kinds of uncertainties, I think turning a conversation into a criminal case is, would be pretty difficult. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, now, uh, as to that breaking news <laughs> that is just now coming in today, I'm sure you're aware that uh, you sounded pretty certain uh, about three weeks ago that you, you wrote at the beginning of your article at Sidebars that uh, President Trump will leave office on January 2021. 20, You've just said that again now. But there has been this case that I'm sure you know about, Justice Sam Alito at the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, as we went to air, had been considering a challenge filed by Pennsylvania U.S. Congressman Mike Kelly and a number of state lawmakers trying to toss out the results in that state where Biden is said to have won by more than 80,000 votes. The lawmakers said that it's because the, uh, the the state's new absentee ballot law passed by the state legislature last year violates the state constitution. The state Supreme Court already rejected that argument for various uh, technical reasons. So they went to Sam Alito and Alito said, sure, we'll take a look at this. Well, here comes the breaking news, Randall. Um, it is just now being reported on Twitter that the Supreme Court denies GOP litigants bid to nullify Biden's certified win in Pennsylvania. I don't know too much more than that, uh, but that sounds like game over, at least on that front. Your reaction? Yep, it sounds like it, and uh, I haven't seen it mm-hmm. either, of course, but just looking at social media while you were talking, uh, it looks like it was unanimous, so I mean, even Justice Alito didn't dissent, at mm-hmm. least publicly. Um, so I, and I I don't think that's a huge surprise. I mean, I think most of the people who've been following all these various cases have recognized that they're they're all basically frivolous, and the courts are certainly recognizing it. And so I know there was a lot of concern in some quarters about, you know, will Trump's Supreme Court justices try to throw this thing to him somehow? Mm-hmm. And he clearly was sort of hoping that, even so almost said as much when Amy uh, Coney Barrett was, was being nominated. That right. He's expecting her to vote on his favor. But I'm really not worried about that. Uh, like I said, I think the the one thing that's performing well in this whole mess is the independent judiciary. Mm-hmm. And 
the one thing about those federal judges, you know, once you appoint them, you've got no leverage. Right. You, know, they, you can't do anything to them. They've got a lifetime appointment. You can't fire them. You know, so I think if Trump thought that these justices were going to really go out of their way to try to, to hand this election to him just because he appointed them, I think he was he was mistaken. Uh, well, clearly, if that uh, decision from the U.S. Supreme Court, and by the way, I should chalk myself up to one of those folks who was worried, not overly worried, because I was watching these cases come in, and obviously Team Trump was doing terribly, even by, uh, uh, you know, uh, Trump-appointed federal judges. But the U.S. Supreme Court uh, can be a different animal, as, as you know, particularly this court. So there was some concern there. Maybe we can be less concerned about that for the moment, uh, at least until uh, I get to look at exactly what they said and didn't. But let's now finally until move on. The next appeal, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, until the next appeal. Thanks for reminding us. <laughs> All right, let's talk about your, your, uh, your piece and the pardon power, because that does now seem to be where we are going. Yeah. And, and by the way, the, the piece will link to it. It's a great primer on the on the presidential pardon power. I, I would recommend the listeners reading it because you will learn a lot about this, including the recent history of its usage, etc. You cite other recent controversial pardons by other presidents and by this one that have that he's issued to date. We'll get to some future pardons in a moment. But is there anything ultimately different about the way that Trump has wielded the pardon power than previous presidents, as you see it, historically? Well, a couple things. I mean, the first is just the process. I mean, he's much more so than any prior president kind of ignored the established rules and process for for reviewing pardons. Mm-hmm. There's a whole office at DOJ, the Office of the Pardon Attorney, that's supposed to review applications for clemency, and they've got all these rules that it's supposed to be at least five years since you were convicted and all these other, and then they make recommendations to the president. And Trump is just completely ignored that. You know, he grants pardons based on recommendations of Fox News commentators or, you know, political allies or just people, you know, Kim Kardashian asking him. I mean, mm-hmm. so he's, that, that's one way in which it's different. And then the other is just the scope. So, uh, or the scope of kind of questionable pardons. So there have been controversial pardons in the past here and there, as you said. You mm-hmm. know, one of the more famous ones is Bill Clinton pardoning Mark Rich, mm-hmm. the, on his last day of office, and then there were allegations that the riches had given all this money to Democrats and the Clinton Library, and it was actually an FBI investigation of that. Mm-hmm. And Bush one famously pardoned Casper Weinberger and, and some other Iran-Contra defendants. Mm-hmm. You know, so they have been controversial pardons in the past, even pardons that suggested, uh, as in the Bush case, that they might be related to protecting the president himself, um, but nothing on this scale. And uh, I think uh, what we're going to see in the next couple of months or five, six weeks, it's just sort of, I'm expecting an unprecedented number of pardons directly related to people who are either the president's own close associates or who could have potentially implicated the president himself in wrongdoing. Um, and mm-hmm. I just think the 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 scale is, going, is completely unprecedented in terms of, of that. L- let's zero in on that, uh, because at the top of the list that you suggest of, of folks who may receive pardons are, are the defendants in the various uh, Mueller investigation cases, right. with Trump already having pardoned Michael Flynn. He commuted Roger Stone's prison sentence. He, he did not yet issue him a full pardon, although you suggest one may be coming. I, and many believe that, you know, the, the, these pardons for Flynn, Stone, and whoever else is ahead uh, from, from this group is meant to protect himself from what those folks might tell federal prosecutors. But isn't it 
true that those who receive and accept such pardons no longer have the Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination for those matters? So they can be called in, for example, by Congress or uh, the FBI and, and forced to testify on matters that they could that they might have otherwise claimed uh, the Fifth on uh, previously? Well, that is true, but my view on that has always been that that's sort of over... Those prospects are overstated. I mean, you, you always see people, oh, now Flynn's been pardoned, they can bring him in, he's lost his Fifth Amendment rights. Yeah. And sort of, you know, two things. At first, at this point, I mean, Mueller, Flynn talked to Mueller as investigators 18 or 19 times. I mean, mm-hmm. he's told them what he has or what he's willing to tell them, and he's not, now that he's been pardoned, going to suddenly rat out his benefactor and tell them something new, right? So I think the prospect of people who've been pardoned coming in now that the Mueller investigation's been over for a couple years, coming up with new information that's suddenly going to sink Trump is incredibly unlikely. So let me press you on that, Randall. You, so okay. you're saying that if, if they call in, let's say, uh, Roger Stone, well, Stone hasn't been pardoned yet, but if he was pardoned, whether it's Stone, Flynn, anybody else, Congress brings him in, they demand he answer these questions, can he can can he declare uh, the Fifth Amendment? Does he doesn't he have to answer those questions now that he wouldn't incriminate himself since he's been pardoned? And he can't, can't they take, yeah. can't they hold him uh, for, you know charge him with obstruction of of Congress if he does not? If they could prove it, sure. I mean, he can't take the Fifth anymore. Right. But people can be evasive. They can claim failures of recollection. You know, there's a lot of ways to avoid giving. Uh, the Congress sort of new information at this stage. Mm. I just think all of these allegations have been so thoroughly investigated by Mueller and by the Senate Intelligence Committee, you know, investigated to death. The prospect of something new coming out at this stage just seems really unlikely to me. Uh, And like I said, the people that have been pardoned are going to bend over backwards, do everything they can to avoid implicating their benefactor, right? They're not going to suddenly want to turn on Trump. But that can be a crime. Yeah, again, if you can prove it, right? Yeah. Uh, perjury and obstruction are, are difficult things to prove. And, you know, if someone comes in and, and claims, you know, failures of recollection or, you know, uh, I remember these conversations differently and things like that, it's just, like I said, not impossible. I'm just not expecting it. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the likelihood of Mueller and Russia allegations being revisited mm-hmm. again, yet again, is pretty low and that, you know, DOJ and Congress are probably going to have other priorities. Well, fair enough, although I can see a whole list of people that he, this guy, uh, Trump, may end up pardoning for crimes that we don't even know about, that have not yet even come to light, and I'm, no. I'm, I'm curious to see how a pardon will affect their uh, ability to continue to, you know, dodge talking about it. We'll, we'll call you back at that point and we'll have it out, okay. I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> the second part of that question, uh, sort of our, our friend John Bonifaz of uh, Free Speech for Peace People.org has, as you have in your piece, argued that while the pardon power is vast, it is not absolute. A president can't, for example, offer a pardon in exchange for a bribe and along those same lines can't issue a pardon for corrupt purposes, as as John Bonifaz has argued, for example, to keep a defendant from testifying against him. Uh, Do you agree with that assessment? Yes. Uh, and, uh, again, these are all kind of untested propositions because right. we've never dealt with it before, but yeah. I think most people agree that granting the pardon in order to obstruct justice or in exchange for a bribe, mm-hmm. that could be a separate crime. Now, the question is, is the pardon still valid? And I don't think we know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. It, might be, it might be that you could 
go to a court and get the pardon invalidated somehow, mm-hmm. or it might be, well, the pardon still stands, but then the recipient of the pardon is liable, liable for bribery, a new crime, right. just as the president would be. So it's certainly, I think, the case that, like any power, like any presidential power, even as broad as the pardon power is, it doesn't include the power to act unlawfully or corruptly. And so potentially, uh, you know, pardon in exchange for a bribe could be, again, a separate crime. And that is, you know, what I've heard from, from you and, and other folks. But, you know, Bonifaz actually made this argument to Judge Sullivan in the uh, in the Flynn case. It does not appear to have worked uh, since Judge Sullivan dismissed the Flynn case on Tuesday as moot in light of Trump's pardon of Flynn, uh, it, which which sort of feels to me, uh, Randall Eliasson, that there really is no actual check on those powers. His argument was that, you know, that this was a, a corrupt pardon, basically to keep Flynn from singing on Trump. Right. Um, and yet Judge Sullivan, who is no softy here, you know, on, on Flynn, it seems to have ignored that uh, that brief and and uh, declared the whole thing moot. And does this mean that yeah, even corrupt self dealing is now allowable for a presidential pardon? Well, I have two different thoughts on that. One, it's probably the case that the evidence that this is an actual provable bribe mm-hmm. uh, or provable obstruction of justice is is pretty thin, mm-hmm. or at least not not the sort of thing you could take to court and prove. The, it's the timing and the implications. You know, sure, it looks like he just wants Flynn to, to keep quiet. On the other hand, people have argued, like you said, if that were the case, he wouldn't pardon him because Flynn is going to lose his fifth. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd just commute a sentence or something, but not pardon him. Um, and again, Flynn has talked to the FBI like 20 times. I mean, I think they know what Flynn knows, what he's willing to say. And so the idea that you could prove that now this pardon two years later Mm. was to keep Flynn's mouth shut mm-hmm. is probably pretty challenging in terms of proving that as a criminal case mm-hmm. as opposed to just an overall appearance of corruption. And then the second thing is, even if Sullivan thought that and and agreed with that brief, Sullivan can't bring the bribery prosecution, right? I mean, mm-hmm. his role is just to decide, is this a valid pardon? Right. Yeah, so he could grant the pardon, and it would be up to future investigators to decide was this pardon actually corrupt, like we are talking a minute ago, and is that a separate crime? So, you know, a possible crime of bribery or obstruction, although the pardon itself still stands, right? But you could possibly have an investigation for the circumstances under which it was granted. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that's what Sullivan's thinking, and I actually think it's probably unlikely, but that's another possibility. You know, and I do know that these are all difficult questions, as you note, because they've never happened before. We've really never had to ponder these. So let's go to uh, perhaps the most difficult unknown question here, uh, the matter of a self-pardon by the president, which, you know, has never been done. Uh, What do we know and and not know about whether that is constitutionally uh, allowable in any way, shape or form at this point? don't know and i think we have to recognize that we don't know i mean uh, and that the constitution doesn't provide a clear answer um like you said it's never been tried it's never been ruled on by any court there's one line in an office of legal counsel opinion from department of justice during the nixon administration Mm -hmm. one line that says the president can't self-pardon because you can't be the judge in your own case but no analysis you know i mean so it would never qualify as a sort of a detailed uh, resolution of the question. 
So the only way we're going to find out is if Trump tries it, and then he's later indicted for something, you know, mm-hmm. and the, by the by the federal prosecutors. Because uh, he can't pardon himself for state crimes, of course. Mm-hmm. But if he were to try to self-pardon, either he'll just do it, and we'll never know whether it meant, meant anything or not, because nobody ever tested it, or he'd have to be in, then indicted by the Biden Justice Department, and he'd raise it as a defense. Mm-hmm. And you can't indict me, I've been pardoned, and then the courts would rule on it, and it would probably go to the Supreme Court. I, you know, if you look at kind of the weight of academic opinion, mm-hmm. I think the majority feel like that can't be allowable to self-pardon, mm-hmm. that it's just inconsistent with our whole structure of justice and the idea that you can't be the judge and jury in your own case, and it would be kind of inconceivable mm-hmm. to say that's okay. But we don't know. <laughs> no. And, and uh, like I said, the, the Constitution, I don't think, provides a clear answer. You can make well, a lot of arguments on either side. Well, it, you know, it would have to be obviously tested, as you say, um, but, and, and feel free to not answer this question, Randall, <laughs> but do you have any doubt that Donald Trump is going to at least try to self-pardon himself? Because I got to say, I don't. And if I were him, uh, you know, I, I would do it and, you know, test yeah. it down the road. I, I mean, to me, I, I it, it seems to me there's no doubt he is going to self-pardon or at least try to. You, you want to ring well, in on that? <laughs> I wouldn't say I have no doubt. I think it's probably likely. I mean, I think I tend to agree with you. But the counter argument is he wouldn't do it because it might suggest that he thinks he did something wrong. And so if he feels like he's never done anything wrong, it's all been a bunch of witch hunts, he could feel like, I'm not going to self-pardon myself because it looks like I'm admitting that I did something that required a pardon, right? And you said yourself, actually a point I wanted to get back to, something you said earlier, you know, a pardon involves a recognition of guilt. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's really universally true. I mean, you often see that, but... Certainly in some pardons, that's not true. For example, if the president were to pardon someone who'd been convicted of murder and then exonerated by DNA evidence, you know, you wouldn't say the exonerated person is admitting guilt by mm-hmm. accepting that pardon, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So it, it depends on the circumstances. And I think, you know, Trump could say, when it comes to his kids or himself, he could say, uh, look, none of us did anything wrong, but these Democrats are so crazy, it's right. going to be a whole four years of witch hunts. I'm just going to do this to save us. Yep. from that unfairness. Yep. And and they could accept the pardon saying we agree we did nothing wrong but this is necessary. Yeah. To and you know. Oh, that's a, can, that's right? absolutely what he's going to do. Uh, and, yeah. and, <laughs> and 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 for himself as well. I did absolutely nothing wrong but I know that these crazy Joe Biden people and their witch hunts are they're out to get me so I have no choice. I hate to do it but I have no choice. I'm going to pardon myself. I yep. <laughs> I think that's almost a certainty at least as I see it, maybe not as uh, as you see it. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but No, it's just uh, I it's, think it's likely, but I do yeah. think there's his ego, you know, is going to factor in. And and if if he gets any sense that by doing that he's going to run the risk of looking like he's admitting that he did something wrong. Maybe he'd hold off. But yeah, he'll talk his way out of it. He's got a way to talk <laughs> his way out of anything, you know. And I'm even thinking, uh, as we're talking, you know, if Trump pardons someone where it's so obvious that it is corrupt, either because it's bribery or an incredibly obvious corrupt purpose that everyone agrees is a crime, 
Well, then he'll just pardon himself for that crime. That can become kind of an endless pardon loop. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. The Mobius pardon presidency. Exactly, like that. And and how broad then is the scope for these pardons? Let's say for his children. You mentioned we know that the presidential right. pardon power doesn't apply to state crimes or even uh, federal civil crimes. I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Is that true as well? Well, federal civil. Right. Cases, yeah, he yeah. Can, yeah he, so the people that are suing him civilly, or state mm-hmm. AGs investigating him civilly, you know, he can't get rid of those. So okay. all the sexual assault victims, all the Trump University victims, all whatever other fraud cases are out there, civil tax liability, you know, there's a ton of potential litigation mm-hmm. that could result in civil fines and legal fees and things that he's not going to be able to pardon himself. So, so it's only federal crimes. And then the other question that's going to be really interesting is, you mentioned these prospective pardons, right? Mm-hmm. What about people... So it's one thing to pardon Flynn, who right. had been indicted and pleaded guilty, and we know what the crime is, although the pardon covers even more than that. But what about someone like his kids who haven't been charged with anything? So how do you pardon them? You know, mm-hmm. you say, for any and all crimes that may have been committed during my administration or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they've got kind of this blanket get-out-of-jail-free card for anything they might have done. Uh, and we haven't seen a lot of pardons like that, but it's pretty clear you can do that. I mean, that's what Ford did for Nixon. Nixon, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think he could just, where his kids are concerned, or himself, like you said, just say, I pardon you for any federal offenses committed or that may have been committed up until today's date. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> and, you know, and that I, would, think, that, that, that would I inc- think that works. That would yeah. include going back to even before he became president, right? Yeah. I mean, the, most crimes have a five-year statute of limitations, so that's not a huge difference because uh-huh. you know, they, they've been in office four years. So, uh, But any crime would, after they have been pardoned, if they committed it, so if they, for example, continued uh, some form of tax fraud in, uh, in 2021 or 2022, that they could then be charged for. Pardon cannot part. You can't pardon someone for future crimes. The, the act already has has to already been committed, and so even if it were a conspiracy, and he grants the pardon, and the day after the pardon, there's some other overt act in furtherance of some conspiracy. You know, now they're back on the hook, right? I mean, mm-hmm. anything that happens after the day of the pardon isn't covered. And and does this sort of blanket pardon? You know, if we find out, let's say Trump self-pardons, as I'm certain he will at least try, and then we find out that he did something terrible. Let's say that he actually murdered someone while in office, and we only find out about uh, about that after Joe Biden becomes president. Would Trump have actually pardoned himself for that as well because uh, it happened before his pardon date, even something like that? Well, if he gave himself one of these blanket pardons like we're talking about, uh-huh. like any and all federal crimes, yeah. then that's how we'd, we'd test it, right? So we <laughs> found out about a murder. Presumably someone would indict him for that. And then that's when you get the court test, because he'd come in and raise the defense of the pardon. Um, now, if it's a murder, yeah. uh, maybe it could be a local crime. Uh-huh. You know, uh, Maybe the pardon wouldn't apply. Uh, but that's how you'd get it tested. If you if you discover something really outrageous that we don't know about yet, yeah, and he has already tried to issue this blanket self pardon for anything and everything I may or may not have done, <laughs> then you indict him, 
yep. and let him raise it as a defense and let the court decide whether that blanket self-pardon was, was valid. Okay, this is me saying so, not Randall D. Eliason, but Donald Trump is definitely going to pardon himself. He is definitely going to be charged. We're going to find something terrible uh, that he actually did, <laughs> and somebody is going to try to pardon him, and we are going to have to test this theory, and, and Randall will join us uh, for that show, no doubt. Last question for you, sir. You mentioned uh, basically uh, that, that Trump has sort of blown away the um, the, uh, the the pardon office at the uh, Department of Justice and the rules that usually requ- uh, apply to pardons. But those are rules, I guess. They're norms. They are not laws, per se. Which brings me to this uh, final question. Is there anything that Congress can actually put in place any restrictions at all on the pardon power, at least for a future presidency, to, to sort of keep this from happening? Or can that only be done via a constitutional amendment? Yeah, I think what, Cong- what Congress can do is extremely limited because it's a separation of powers problem. I mean, the Constitution gives this power to the president. It's, it's basically unlimited. And I don't think Congress can do much to come in and restrict it. There is some pending legislation that the House wrote this year, and they'll presumably reintroduce next year, that has a bunch of reforms in it kind of related to Trump abuses, and part of it is is pardon reform. But the most they tried to do is impose some reporting requirements Mm -hmm. so that if there's a pardon in any case related to the president somehow Mm -hmm. or or the president's family, Mm -hmm. that they have to make a report to Congress about that and explain the circumstances. And, you know, uh, that's about the most they think they can do i think they 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 say in there that they think a they also say a self pardon is unlawful now again i don't think that would be binding mm-hmm. but some commentators think that's still important because if it got to the supreme court the fact that congress had taken a position and said you know we think self pardons are unlawful might carry some weight with the court even though it wouldn't be controlling this is all just nuts, but what would we expect uh, at this point? Uh, Randall D. Eliason, you can find his work, of course, at sidebarsblog.com. I'll link to his article on the looming presidential pardons. That will be your guide for what is to come over the next several uh, days and weeks. You can also find him frequently at Washington Post and as well on the Twitters at R.D. Eliason. Uh, thank you, my friend. Always great talking to you, and I'm sure we will have lots and lots of excuses to do so in the near future. It's my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Okay, let's take a quick break, and uh, I will check out this breaking news coming out of the U.S. Supreme Court. And if, in fact, it, we got it right here, and uh, Randall <laughs> says it, it was unanimous. I hope so. That would be good news. <laughs> yes. Quick break, and we'll be back with that right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Yeah. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, my apologies, I ran late. We will have to uh, (laughs) share your Green News report on our next thrilling Bradcast. No worries. Due to this uh, breaking news uh, of of no small note, I think, uh, as Washington Post reports, the Supreme Court on Tuesday denied 
a last-minute attempt by President Trump's allies to overturn the election results in Pennsylvania, a blow to the president's continuing efforts to protest his loss. To Democrat Joe Biden, the court's brief order provided no reasoning, nor did it note any dissenting votes. So, yeah, sounds like it's unanimous. It was the first request to delay or overturn the results of the presidential election to reach the court. Donald Trump has promised he was going to challenge all the way to the Supreme Court. He hasn't. This case was brought by a U.S. congressman and some Pennsylvania lawmakers. Uh, the Post notes that it appears that Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's latest nominee, did take part in this case. Just before the court's order was released, the Post notes, uh, Trump once again boasted that he had defeated Biden. He pleaded for help. He said, quote, now let's see whether or not somebody has the courage, whether it's a legislator or legislatures or whether it's a justice of the Supreme Court or a number of justices of the Supreme Court. Let's see if they have the courage to do what everybody in this country knows is right. <laughs> well, um, apparently they did. Uh, well, yeah, apparently they did do what was right. Exactly. And it's not what you think is right, sir. Soon to be former President Donald Trump. Uh, by the way, Trump has called the Speaker of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives twice during the past week to try to strong arm him into uh, reversing Trump's loss in the state. But to his credit, Speaker Brian Cutler, a Republican, told the president he had no authority to step in or to order the legislature into a special session. So that ain't happening. Is the monster dead yet, Desi Doyen? We shall see. You got a smile on your face, so I guess things are going better. That, uh, I do feel a little bit of relief there. We'll see. Well, wait until tomorrow. I'm sure things will change. <laughs> until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to my guest today, George Washington University law professor Randall D. Eliason of SidebarsBlog.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's roller coaster, you can download it anytime for free at BradBlog.com. That is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep this program on the air and 100% listener supported. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.